listening to teachings on the, the first foundation of mindfulness on the body and uh, reflecting on the body as it is you know, skin, flesh and bones coming together of the four elements it's, uh, you having difficulty hearing me? Just as distracting a bit right now. Let me try and do this. How's that? Is that any better? Yeah, okay. Um, and, uh, you know, one can, can apply these practices and get a, a different perception of the body, you know, not to not to be caught up in the infatuation with the body or aversion to the body, whichever one we incline to, or many of us swing from one to the other. <laughs> um, so these, these practices are to, to help us to see, see its natural state. It's, it's, a, it's a coming together of things for a while. It's a, it's, it's a process of nature that is manifesting as right now as a human body and uh, this is uh, very freeing it brings great uh, peace when we really know that when we really know the body as it is and then we can take care of it and nourish it and uh, exercise it and wash it and uh, take it out for walks because it needs all of that and we do it. We can do it with with kindness, because the body needs certain care and conditions for it to to even to survive, let alone to flourish. Um, and so the 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 Buddha gives us ways to reflect on this physical body that we maybe would miss we maybe wouldn't think of because uh, I think now more than any other time in the, in the, certainly in the western culture we're conditioned to think of this body as me and mine I mean we, you know human beings always do to some degree but it's it's very very strong now the separate individual experience this body, my body like this and, and then because of the, also because of media and of things like Photoshop 
we get these very distorted perceptions of how our body should look, what is the norm, you know. So, um, so then we get the, you know, a setup of I am this body, this is me, and it's supposed to look a certain way, and it's supposed to move a certain way, and it's supposed to in uh, it's supposed to be a certain colour. Uh, that's also a big, really huge thing. Not just in Western culture, actually, but you know, the, the tone of skin, skin of the body, and then the, the height and the breadth and the how you know long legs are, or how slim a waist is, or how how firm a stomach is, or you know whether the whether lips are, are large or small. All of these things have taken on enormous meaning and enormous consequence, and uh, and yet, you know, this body forms in our mother's womb by some amazing miracle, and is born into the world innocently, very innocent, and open and in a state of wonder, you know, when you see newborn babies, it's just kind of like, you can really see the source from which we come when, when a baby's born, there's this kind of openness. And then there's, there's our society starts to say, oh, this is a beautiful baby, or that's not a beautiful baby. Um, this baby belongs there, and this baby belongs here. And, and so we start to get uh, conditioned into you know, just, just because of our physical appearance, into where we belong, what we can do, what we can't do, whether we're acceptable or not acceptable, and uh, whether we're lovable or not lovable because of our bodies, or whether we're a threat. You know? I was talking to, a, I was always much, much taller than my the other kids when I was little. When I was in elementary school, I was about a, a foot taller than all the other kids. <laughs> and uh, I was talking to another woman who was big. You know, she was always big. And just how, when you're, when you're big, people think you're a threat. So you can be the kindest of heart, but people see you as a threat because you're big. And, uh, and just how you, know, you can get into quite difficult situations because... There's this projection, you're big, therefore you're dangerous, therefore you're threatening me, therefore I've got to get someone else to defend me from you. This kind of thing happens. So we were just sharing stories of, of you know, these kind of things that happened as, as children because of just having a physical body of a certain kind that was perceived in a certain way. And uh, it's this very... It's very tender in my heart. Being in America, the uh, the, um, the depth of racism in this country very, very profound, extreme actually. And uh, you know, like just thinking of mothers of of teenage black boys, African American boys, how scary that is to. Uh, to not be able to just trust that your your kids will be okay to go out, you know, 
driving down the street or walking down the street or going into a store. Because for some reason in this country, probably for many complex reasons, um, there's a perception of black skin being dangerous, being frightening to people with white skin. It's kind of crazy. And so, <clears throat> just because of a, the colour of the skin, which is so th- thin, you know, skin is kind of one's life can be in danger. So this is like, this is the body, our bodies, and then how these bodies are perceived. And so, um, you know, being born into the world is a very vulnerable experience. And... Uh, it, it touches me that the Buddha really knew that very deeply and, uh, and looked at how can we get ourselves out of this mess of identification with the body. And so uh, the teachings that he gave were not um, about dissociating from the body and they were not about having aversion towards the body. But they were understanding that uh, this body is, is coming together of, of things at this time. And, and what the body is and what the, the nameless, it's kind of nameless, I can't call it anything, but what the, the spiritual potential of a being is, they kind of it's not exactly totally irrelevant, but you know, because we need the body in order to awaken. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what our body's like. It doesn't matter if we're healthy and strong and beautiful, or <coughs> sick, or young or old. It doesn't matter. What matters is the 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 potential here within each of us to awaken and the and what we do with with these conditions that we've that we've received that we that we have this body and mind what we do with this that's that's what matters and it doesn't matter whether we're born into a um, wealthy family or poor family it doesn't even matter if we have a very good intellect or or we're very simple because to understand the Dharma, we don't need to be brilliant. In fact, it could even be an obstacle sometimes. But we need to be able to reflect and to, uh, and to be willing to look at our experience in a new way. So it touches me that the Buddha really saw and felt for the, the suffering of beings and saw how we are, we are caught, how we get trapped in these um, external conditions. And so we identify with this body as being me and mine. And, uh, you know, maybe we'd like to have a body like someone else. You know, we look at someone else's body and think, oh, if only I had a body like that, if only I could do that, if only I looked like that. And yet... Uh, Probably if you talk to anyone with any kind of body, you know, even if even the most beautiful body, 
they'll be satisfied with it for a while, or maybe not at all. Because, you know, you still know the flaws of your own body, the limitations of your own body. And still you're being met, the world is meeting you from the appearance of your body, which is kind of, you know, you can only do it, you can do a little bit to change, but not much. So it's this kind of conundrum of, of having been born into this physical form. And, uh, and so these reflections are to, is to, are to bring a sense of context and uh, cooling and peace to this uh, experience of embodiment. And it's not about dissociating from the body or, or um, transcending the body either. It's about using this body as a means, as a vehicle to awakening. So you know, the Buddha points out that everything we need for awakening is right here in this body. He doesn't even say in this body and mind, which I always find amazing. Because I was thinking, well, it's really it's here in this body and mind. But he actually says, everything we need for awakening, for full awakening, is right here in this fathom-long body. So it's all here. All the teachings are here in our body. Our body is giving us the teaching all the time. And uh, so it's learning to, to look at our experience to look at the experience, this experience of embodiment um, as a teacher rather than as a, as a person or a personality. And part of the teaching is change, it changes, you know, <laughs> hair gets grey, falls out, wrinkles come. Um, body gets sick. Sometimes it gets sick and then it gets healthy again. Sometimes it gets sick and it stays sick for a long time. Um, sometimes it gets sick and it dies. And that's what bodies do. And that is our teacher. I know that's true for a number of people in the room, actually. The uh, body getting sick. Is, has been a teaching and uh, it can bring I, I've noticed um, a few people who I know who've, who've had very very serious illnesses you know like life threatening illnesses and who are still living right now there's a, there's, um, a certain brightness and lightness that is kind of surprising in some ways, but there it is. It's like I see, uh, people I've, I see, like oh, there's a lightness in the step, and there's a walking outside and just really being at one with the sun and the trees and the glistening of the raindrops on the tree. You know, there's this kind of sharpening of of experience because there's more of an understanding of the preciousness of life and that it could go at any moment. There's no, we can't assume we're going to live to be, you know, 90. We don't know. So when there's that recognition of the transience of life, then there's much more 
presence, there's much more interest, there's much more awakenness in the moment because we're not, we're not assuming ourselves into the future for a really long time. We, we don't know. It's, it's not certain. And we don't have to wait until we get a life-threatening illness to do this. Ajahn Chah was always uh, giving that teaching of, of uncertainty. It's uncertain, not sure. And that, that state of mind, it, uh, it brings us into presence. And you know, when we get into it, I'm right, I'm sure, I'm certain, it's going to be like this. I'll see you in September 2018, you know. don't know. Who knows? So it feels safe to make things certain, but it's actually coming from a place of vulnerability. We're much more vulnerable when we're having to shore things up and make them firm and solid. Because nothing is firm and solid for very long. It's all in a state of flux. I read somewhere that our bodies... You know, which feel kind of solid, you know. I can feel myself sitting here, it feels quite solid. That our bodies are made up of 99.99999% space. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. So there's the space that we know, you know, like the lungs and the ears and the nose and things like that. And then there's, and then there's uh, atoms, you know, what, what, what an atom is made of. So an atom is made up of mostly space. And then there's the space between atoms. And when you add it all up, there's, there's a lot of space here. <laughs> and not a lot of solid. It's kind of funny because it, obviously it feels solid. And we've just been doing that meditation on bones and all that, and it's, it feels solid. But there, is a, there is a certain solidity there, of course, here. And on another level, there's very little. There's just this, uh, this la- lot of space and a little bit of, and, and then some, I'm not sure what it is actually, pressure and uh, vibration, movement. And, uh, and then we, we have this, this phenomena going on here, which we call me. <laughs> we call it mine. And, uh, And it's this, it's, you know, this, it's this manifestation of the universe. It's this, it's this coming together of things for a while. So, uh, so we have. So, and the Buddha really points to this, this paradox of the, you know, the ultimate reality, which is, which is emptiness, emptiness of self, emptiness of form, emptiness of. Uh, anything that you can really grasp and sentience our you know the conventional reality of of being someone of being a sensitive being and he really he he speaks to that through um, presenting the, the the precepts for example the five precepts as a as a means to live in a way that doesn't harm sentient beings and uh, in emphasizing the, the importance of generosity of kindness 
compassion, uh, appreciation of the good fortune of others, and of uh, equanimity. So, you know, if, if everything is ultimately empty, you don't have to get into precepts and kindness, you know, it doesn't matter. But because it's empty and yet, here we are. You need the, the care, the protection, the, the kindness, the love, because it's, it's a vulnerable experience, being someone, being a separate someone in the world. And uh, I don't know about you, but for me, there's times when I just don't want it, you know. Get me out of here. That was really my motivation to come to the practice in the first place of, ouch, you know, get me out of here. This is painful and confusing. And it doesn't make sense, and I don't like it. So somebody's presenting a teaching that says there is a way out. So great, okay, I'm going there. That's what I want. And then over time, that teaching, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's always pointing to the way out, but the way out isn't anywhere else, isn't anywhere over there, it's, it's back here. And so the way out becomes turning towards, getting to know, taking an interest, being present with this experience of being a, a vulnerable human being. And uh, keeping on again and again, turning towards this, being interested, having patience, kindness. Sometimes really we, we can only meet this experience with compassion. You know, it's not, there's no other way to meet it but, the, but with compassion, because it's just... If we don't, you know, we... we well, I'm not going to... You can fill in the blanks yourself, you probably know them. But, it, you know, we, 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 um, we can fall into, into dark spaces where the sense of self is so unbearable that we just want to destroy this self in some way, or we're afraid to step into life because we don't really know who we are, or what we're going to be. Or um, maybe we're so angry because the particular form that we've been born into is meeting a lot of prejudice, or a lot of violence, or a lot of uh, discrimination. And so those qualities of compassion and patience and uh, willingness to keep turning back to this experience and, and looking at well, what is true. Because you know, the mind makes up these stories, these stories of self. And they can be um, stories of being a grand self, a great self. A great self that's gonna, that's you know, gonna be great in the future, <laughs> or it can make up the stories of of um, the self that that failed, that didn't make it, that should have, could have, would have, 
or it can be the, the fears that we have of the future. So when we really um, touch into this, this human experience, for me there's, there's a, a very strong sense of um, oneness. Not, uh, not that I don't feel separate, but, that, but I understand how it is to be a vulnerable human being and to feel and to feel uh, strong and healthy and uh, confident and to feel weak and sick and to feel broken and to feel uh, fear and to feel injustice and now all of those feelings when I turn back here and so I know that that is not, I'm not the only one in the world feeling those things. That's, this is, if one allows oneself to, to be here, this is what it's like. We all know those feelings. And so it's, it connects me with, uh, with humanity. So I'm separate, and in my separateness, I'm, I'm one with everyone, with all of you. And it's not that I know how it is to be you or that you know how it is to be me, but uh, we share certain commonalities as a human being in the world. So this, this teaching that the Buddha gives on the on the four foundations is one of the you know one of the many ways he he approaches this human experience. It's uh, it's a way of coming into presence with what is. So whether it's through body, through Vedana. I'm not going to use the word feeling immediately because I realize for many people feeling is more about emotion. Vedana, meaning like pleasant feeling, painful feeling, neutral feeling, which we all have, those experiences. And uh, mind, you know, different mind states that arise, expanded mind states, joyful mind states, contracted mind states, lustful mind states, angry mind states confused mind states, mind states that are free of all of those things. You know, we all experience that. We all share that. And then we make the mistake of identifying that, that this is me. I am this great, joyful, expansive experience. I am this, this contracted fear. I am anger, angry. So the, the mistake is the, uh, the identification, the separate identification with, this, with these states. And, uh, and so the, the place of transformation is where we can turn to these, these experiences, this experience of body, experience of feelings, experience of mind, states, and of 
the objects of our mind or the content of our mind and meet it with awareness, meet it with a with sati, with awareness, with a with presence and then bring an, a sense of curiosity and interest to what's going on, not immediately just follow the first feeling that arises not immediately believe in the, in the identification that comes up, but take an interest you know, this, this body, so we have the physical body and then we have the you know, the story about this body so we can just keep, we can just go on automatic pilot, you know, we come in the room, we sit down and then it's already going on the story. We're not even aware of it. And then maybe there's feeling going on. There's pleasant feeling and we've got a little story going on about, oh, this is a really good meditation, I'm reading well here. This is great, you know. Maybe it's going to just be like this forever now. A little story going on. And then, uh, then the mind starts to open up and relax and feel expanded. And then we've got the story of Maybe I'm enlightened. Maybe this is it. Maybe I'm a stream entry. You know. And then, uh, and then doubt comes in. Or maybe I'm not. Or maybe didn't so and so say it was like that. So then we start to doubt. And then uh, we're caught in the story of doubt. So all those, all that stuff goes on. It's all stories. You know. <laughs> so uh, the Buddha is pointing to. Know the body as the body. No pleasant feeling as pleasant feeling. No painful feeling as painful feeling. No feeling that isn't either pleasant or unpleasant, just as that. It's neither pleasant or unpleasant. Don't ignore it. Know it. Know the lustful mind as lustful. Know the mind without lust as without lust. And so on. Know the, the mind with the angry mind is angry. The mind without anger is without anger. So we tend to just uh, grasp onto things, you know. And so he's saying, know it. Be the knowing, as our teacher Ajahn Sumedha would say again and again. Be the knowing. No doubt as doubt. This is doubt. It's like this. So in the knowing, there is freedom. In the knowing there is strength, there is brightness, there is oneness. And in the objects there is uh, endless complexity and vulnerability. So, uh, so the knowing is not, it's not aloof, it's not like I'm just going to float up here because being being in the body is too scary, or being with these feelings is too difficult. It's not aloof, but it's, it's coming into relationship with what is arising now, and knowing it. And so, so getting to know the difference between you know, being caught up, being identified with our experience, and, and being the knower of our experience. And there's this kind of a process to it. It's, you know, first of all, we just, just it's all one. You know, there's no, we can't really distinguish between our experience and the knowing. It's all muddled up together. Because there's identification, and then 
as we start to meditate, we do kind of separate those things out. So it's this sati, is aware of our experience, and so there's this kind of slight sense of separation. And that's, we kind of have to do that because we've, got so, we've been so muddled that we have to kind of separate things out. And then we start to see, oh yeah, okay, that's the body, and it feels like that, it's, and it's uh, okay. And then we start to see what it, maybe our relationship to the body is. You know, there's, a, there's aversion or there's pride. Oh yeah, okay. And then we see that, oh, it's like that, okay. And then, um, and then we can, you know, when we have a little bit of a distance on what's going on, we can start to unravel some of the knots. We can start to see what is, what is, um, you know, what is conditioned, and how. And sometimes, just simply by holding our experience in awareness, those conditions start to unravel naturally. Or maybe we need to really work at it. We need to find ways to help unravel our entangled experience. And so that creating a certain distance with sati and our the the, the phenomena or the, the, the things that are arising is 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 it's the sort of like the, the first step. And, it's, and we might be using that uh, slight distancing for quite a while so that we can get a handle on what's going on, start to understand it more fully and, and learn to let go of that, uh, that attachment and, and identification with this experience here. But if we just stay in that sort of dualistic experience, we kind of get stuck. So you want to stay there. It's useful for a while, but then you need to bring that sati right into the heart of what is going on. Bring the awareness right into the center of what is going on. And so that we're fully with the feeling that is arising right now. We're fully with the, the story. We can see the story. There it is. Oh, there's that story. And we're fully with it and we know what comes along with it. And then we let the story go we might not go away, but we let it go, and we move our attention back to the experience. So we can choose: are we going to be with the physical body, sweeping through the body, or are we going to be with feeling, just knowing it, pleasant, painful, neither pleasant or painful? It can be physical feeling or mental feeling, or are we going to be with? Uh, you know, no, being aware of the mind, sati with the mind state, or with uh, the dhammas, the uh, phenomena that are arising in the mind. So we can we can bring the once we have a more of a sense of strength of awareness, then we can bring that awareness right into the heart of what's going on without it getting lost. And so whatever is happening doesn't destroy our awareness anymore, as it might have done once. But the awareness um, shines a light on the, the truth of our experience.
So when I lived in, when we lived in England, you know, our teacher Ajahn Samodo would speak again and again and again and again about the importance of awareness. And I never got tired of hearing that teaching because it always brought me back into a state of presence. And I realized again and again and again and again I forget and I identify and I become someone again and again and again and again. And so, and, and every time it's dukkha, every time it's, it's suffering, <laughs> it's unsatisfactory. And I'm still doing it <laughs> again and again. <laughs> And, uh, and remembering again and again. And so, um, you know, we need to keep on reminding ourselves, finding ways to remember, to, to bring sati, to bring awareness, mindfulness to our experience, and to also bring a sense of, of curiosity and investigation. Interest. It can be, for some people, curiosity is good, for some people that's too much. So it might just be a subtle kind of interest in what's going on. So that we're not just believing the storyline and solidifying around an experience or a thought or memory or a feeling or a perception. But we're bringing a sense of curiosity and interest so that we can... Uh, we can start to, to make space in what appears to be solid. And in doing that, we find that, that place of freedom. And then we might find it for a moment and, then, and, it's, and it's like, oh, goodness, uh, thank goodness, how did I forget? You know? How did I get caught up in all that again? And then there's this space, there's this sense of joy of, of being present with whatever is arising and then uh, and then we forget again and we get caught up in the story again and so uh, just to find ways to remember you know and sometimes even something as obvious as like when we notice we're caught up in greed or we're caught up in aversion This is an opportunity. This is a this is a flag. This is a flag saying, "Hey, wake up!" You know. So instead of following the story that affirms our experience, we we say, "Oh, what's this? This is aversion. I'm averse to sitting for a long period of time with my body hurting. It brings up aversion. I don't like it." And then it's like, okay, let's take an interest in that. There's a version, so there's, this, there's the, the choice to have come here, the, the, all the effort is taken to get here, knowing, kind of most people anyway, knowing more or less what you're in for, and then sitting and then feeling the, the tension or the, 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 the pain that might arise during a, a one-hour meditation, and then feeling averse to that, and then believing in the aversion. Maybe that's happened for somebody here. So instead of just kind of going down that route where we get stuck, we can use that as an opportunity. It's like, oh look, there's a version. A version is... Oh, the battery's alive. I can use this.
I'll try another. Does that work? Yeah. So uh, instead of just just getting into a knot around it, you know, and getting into all the stories about why you really shouldn't have come and why when you how long it's going to be before you have, can leave and do something you want to do, you can um, see that aversion as uh, that aversion can become the path or awareness of the aversion, not the aversion itself, but the awareness becomes the path. So. When we bring mindfulness to any of the hindrances, you know, uh, ill will, under which aversion lies, uh, sensual desire, restlessness, sleepiness and dullness, or doubt, any of those five hindrances which are on a very clear um, poster on the wall, which you go past every day, probably numerous times, please stop and study it. Uh, When we pay attention to any of those hindrances, when we bring sati to any of those hindrances, then we are bring, we are returning to the path. We're back on the path. So the sati that is the mindfulness, the awareness is bringing us back into onto the path. That the mindfulness is the path to the deathless. So we don't have to be so engrossed in what the object of our awareness is, but in the quality of attention that we bring to it. And uh, so first of all we bring the awareness and then we bring the investigation. And then we, we stay with that, we keep going. We don't just kind of notice it for a minute and then go off to something else, but we stay with that. And uh, in doing that we're, we're exercising, we're employing the first three factors of enlightenment. So from being caught in a sense of self that's stuck and being in a, a relationship of dissonance with it, we've turned that very very simply, with very simple tools, we've turned that into the path to enlightenment. And it's not that we've got rid of the object, we're not, we haven't necessarily got rid of the aversion or got rid of the, the desire, but we, we're knowing it. We're understanding, we're interested. We're not buying into it. And we're not, you know, in not, you know, when we buy into it, it can be that we, we follow it and we feed it and we believe in all the stories, or that we say, I shouldn't be thinking like this. And then we suppress it. I've been practicing all these years, I should be better than this by now. And we reject it. So those are both ways that we buy into the, the hindrances of the mind. And so to, to recognize you know, any of those, first of all, you've got to recognize what it is. You know, you've got to see, oh, this is ill will, or this is uh, restlessness, whatever it might be. And then, ah, oh, this is one of the hindrances to enlightenment. And, uh, and turning our attention to it with, with interest. So if, we're, if our mindfulness is not strong enough, then we just fall into it and get lost. So we have to uh, cultivate the strength of awareness. But as we do that, then you know, our capacity to meet experience becomes greater. 
we become stronger. We don't necessarily experience less, uh, you know, get less sensitive. We might even get more sensitive. We don't necessarily experience less feeling. We might experience more feeling, <laughs> but we can be with the feeling. The feeling isn't any more ruling us, overwhelming us. So uh, the awareness becomes our place of refuge. And meanwhile the world carries on in its crazy way. Our little world, the big world, it's, it's a crazy world. It's not likely to change anytime soon. So uh, we really need to do the work to create this place of refuge so that we ourselves, each of us, have a place to rest and also that we can be a source of safety and uh, encouragement to other beings. So we have this time over these days and uh, you know, I'm sure we'll experience many, many different states, you know, pleasant and painful and boring and confusing and you know, all of that. Inspiring, illuminating, dark, all of that will probably be experienced in this room. And it's all good, it's all food for the practice. There's nothing in the way. As long as we remember to bring our attention to this in the right way. And to know, you know, when we, when we attach and identify with our experience, the result of that is dukkha. Always. It's always dukkha. So if we're experiencing dukkha, again, that's like an invitation to, uh, to investigate a little bit more carefully. You know, not to, not, don't, don't fall down the rabbit hole. Don't, don't get spun out in that story of self. You know, keep your feet on the ground and turn your attention or your butt on the cushion if that's the case and turn your attention to to what's going on and if it's uh, if it's too much and you feel like it's overwhelming and you can't meet what's going on then there are places like just coming into the body can sometimes be a place of relief or bringing, uh, you know, you can sometimes just like remembering to, to bring up a wholesome image in the mind. Remembering one's own, the good that you've done in your own life. Or just bringing to mind some, someone or something that brings you joy. So that you have a little uplift, you know, you don't have to kind of battle along the whole time. So, but we need to always um, check in and be aware of what's going on. And you know, sometimes we, we respond in the, in, a, in the right way, sometimes we get confused. But as long as we're paying attention, we learn as we go. We don't have to get it all right the first time. So uh, we, have, we have lots of opportunity on this retreat and it's really about checking in, not checking out. So uh, I really, uh, I hope that um, 
my words will encourage you and also remind you because uh, we forget again and again and uh, I wish you an insightful retreat Thank you for listening To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate